So just by way of reminder, the Apostle Paul, again, these are his last written words to Timothy. And Timothy, you remember, was um, really uh, Paul's sidekick in ministry. They traveled a lot together doing missionary work. They were co-laborers for the Lord, for the gospel. Um, They had been through a lot together in ministry. And it was more than a ministerial relationship. Really, Paul viewed Timothy as a son in the faith. There was this close connection, this close bond, and and really, we're all to have that bond and that connection as believers. In fact, Jesus prayed for that, didn't he, in John 17, that we would be one as he and the Father are are one, that, that we would be linked together in a special way, our lives, as close as the Father with... How close is the Father and Son? Are they pretty tight? Yeah, that's what Jesus prayed, that we would be one as he and the Father are one. So there would be a closeness in our, in, our, in our connection, in our fellowship together. Well, Paul and Timothy certainly had uh, that connection uh, together. And so we finish, we're coming in the closing uh, section of this book. And there's so much in here, um, in these last uh, verses that we're going to look at. And uh, I think one thing, just to give you a heads up on also, before we get into the text in the intro here is that often you can hit the end of a book and see all the, a bunch of names listed. And it's easy just to kind of, you know what, it's just a bunch of names, I'm done. Let me get to the next book. But as we're going to see this morning, if we get to it, um, there are some very meaningful things that we, lessons we need to take away from some of the people that Paul mentions here at the end of his life. And so um, before we get to those names, though, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote... God's Word says in verse 6, he said, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And so Paul knows that his earthly days are coming to a close, and he speaks with great faith and confidence in the face of of imminent or impending death. He knows, again, remember, he's on death row, um, in Rome, imprisoned. He's about to be martyred, and he looks around. He knows what's going to happen. He knows what's about uh, to go down, and he's ready to go home. He's ready to go to be with Jesus. In the face of death, the Apostle Paul is at peace and at rest, and you and I can be too, can we not? Jesus said, because I live, so you too shall live. We're going to look at later in just a moment that the Apostle Paul said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In other words, our last breath here will be our first breath in the Lord's presence. That's good news, is it not? It's because of what Jesus has done for us by his grace. And so Paul says there, he says, I am already being poured out as a drink offering. My life is completely spent for Jesus, and I am ready to shed my blood for him. Just like when they made this offering 
under the old covenant or the worship that they did um, in the, under the Old Testament economy. You remember when the drink offering was poured out? That's what Paul is alluding to here. He says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And our, our mind should immediately go back to the Old Testament. And when God's people would come to the temple or tabernacle to bring their offerings of worship, the burnt offering, you guys remember the burnt offering? They would bring a lamb or a ram, and they would bring it to the Lord, and it was symbolic. The burnt offering, they put it on the altar, and it was totally consumed by the fire there. And what the worshiper was saying was, my life is being given totally dedicated to the Lord, wholly consecrated unto him. In fact, Paul picks up on that imagery in Romans chapter 12 when he tells us, when he tells the church, in light of all that Jesus has done for us, we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto the Lord. And and literally, it's once and for all. It's saying, Lord, here's my life fully for you, dedicated to you. And then what would happen also with the, uh, with the burnt offering in the Old Testament, they would pour a little cup of wine also. And what would happen? All of a sudden, there'd be some sizzle and whew, a fragrant aroma would rise. In fact, it says the fragrance of that would rise up to the Lord and it would be a fragrant aroma to him, a vapor transparent, barely seen, there for a moment, and then gone the next. So what's Paul saying? My life is a sacrifice. It's totally given over to the Lord, and this is, this is it. This is the last part of the sacrifice, the, 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 the drink offering. I want Jesus to be seen. I want my life to be just here today, gone tomorrow, for him to increase and for me to decrease. It's so beautiful. Can we say that today? Lord, here's my life a living sacrifice. It's a blank check for you. Any way you want to spend it, Lord, even if that means being a martyr, even if that means giving my life for you, Lord, I'm down. Why? Because you've bought me. You've purchased me. You've ransomed me. You've set me free, Lord. I am, it's no longer my life. It's his life. And so Paul's heart communicated here, I'm laying down my life for the one that laid down his life for me. If you're taking notes in Genesis 35, um, Exodus 29, Leviticus 23, and Numbers 15 are all places you can find um, that drink offering in the Old Testament. If that was too fast, sorry, I'm really excited about this text. No, Genesis 35, one more time, Exodus 29, Leviticus 23, and Numbers 15. And you can find, you can go and read for yourself to get the context and the flow. And he also says here, The time of my departure is at hand. And you guys know, when you you guys ever fly? Right? You see your time for your departure. Where do you go? You go to the gate, right? And they say, and then now they got the whole thing, you gotta line up, right? You gotta get in this line. You're like trying to get in in the special spot and to get in line. But the departure is about to happen. Paul's in line. He's ready. He is ready. This this departure word in the Greek is so beautiful. Because it carries a bunch of different meanings. It's used a lot of different ways in the original language. It speaks of an ox being unyoked, right? Set free from the yoke that is upon it. It also speaks about tent pegs being lifted up, like a tent being folded up and moved to the next destination. It also speaks about a ship um, that takes out the anchor, pulls up the, hoist the anchor. What is it? Hoist the anchor? 
Ahoy matey, does anybody know what I'm talking about? You lift the anchor and then you get the sails up and you're ready to set sail. I I love the imagery here, don't you? It's so much more richer as you dig a little bit deeper. And so departure is a euphemism for death. And so Paul says, it's time for me to go home, to hoist the anchors, to unloose the ropes, to set sail, to pull up the tent pegs, to fold up the tent, to move on to my next uh, place of residence. In this case, where was Paul heading? To the Father's house. Isn't that beautiful? The Father's house. Are you ready for the Father's house? Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. What a glorious promise, isn't it? The the greatest carpenter that ever lived is making a place for you right now. Styling it out and he's coming for you and he's coming for me. Death is just a departure, gang. It's a trip, a time to change residences. Death is stepping into everlasting life. In fact, Paul wrote about this And if you're taking notes, I'm going to read these verses because it's such a great reminder for us as believers because Jesus has removed the fear of death from our lives. Correct? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, for we know, we need to know this, that if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And so the Bible likens our body, in the Old Testament, the body likens our bodies to a carcass. Isn't that true, though? We carry these carcasses around wherever we go. You can try to fix up your carcass all you want. Try to make it look pretty. It's just a carcass. There is a new body waiting for you and me when we get to be home with the Lord. The old bod from the sod, the new bod from God. That's just the way I remember it. This tent, right? You guys have tents? The tents don't last forever, do they? These bodies were not, were not intended. These bodies forever, they break down. They get sick. They get, they, get, they get jacked up, don't they? They're going south. The older we get, right, with age, are you getting tighter and tighter, firmer and firmer, unless you're getting a bunch of stuff done? No, right? From dust we came, dust we are returning. No matter how many lift kits you get or how many tucks and... Sorry, I'm getting off topic here. It's a tent, right? These tents don't last forever. God has a new residence for you, a new body fitted for all eternity. Jesus said, when we see him, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so... He says, for in this we groan, this is back in 2 Corinthians 5 too, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. You ever wake up like that? Oh, I wish I had a new body. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up 
by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, yes, who also has given us the Spirit as a guarantee, yes. So we are always confident knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased rather, to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to Him. So whether we're here or whether we're there, we live to please who? To please Jesus. That's right. And so Paul says, the time of my departure is at hand. It's super close. I'm ready. Um, My time is about up. Death is imminent. Paul has no regrets at all here. Zero regrets in fact, how could he have this heart? Um, remember what he said in Philippians chapter 1. The Apostle Paul said, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I'm hard-pressed between the two, having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Paul's like, man, I'm looking forward to departing to being with Jesus, but right now, it's better for me to be with you, to help you along in your walk with the Lord. And then Paul goes on in verse 7, and he uses some sports imagery here, wrestling or boxing and, and running also. And I love that about the Apostle Paul. He, Paul likes, had to like sports, I think, my own personal opinion. Because he says in what? In verse 7, look what he says. I have fought the good fight. Paul did not quit. He kept fighting. What kind of fight are we in? Do we wrestle against flesh and blood? We are in what kind of a battle? Spiritual battle, right? The Lord has given us armor to wear, weapons to use, correct? The Apostle Paul encouraged uh, Timothy in his first epistle to wage the good warfare by faith in a good conscience. And so we are all fighting in a battle, correct? And, and Paul says, he didn't say, I know about the good fight. He says, I have fought. He looks back on his life. I have fought the good fight. Again, wrestling or boxing, he didn't tap out. He didn't throw in the towel. He didn't quit. He endured. And he's still, he hasn't, Paul is still there too. He's still alive saying this. He says, I have finished the race. Paul completed his race that the Lord set before him, looking unto Jesus. He he didn't just get in the race for a free t-shirt or a goodie bag. He says, I finished the race. And Paul uses that imagery of our relationship with Jesus. He likens it to a race. It's not a sprint, by the way. It is a long haul. It is a long, are you in it for the long haul? We better be, because it's a long haul, and it's not easy. It's difficult. In fact, if you're taking notes, uh, Paul said um, in the book of Acts, chapter 20, read a couple verses to you all. How can I finish my race with joy? How can I be faithful to what the Lord's called me to do? Paul said, this is so good, Acts 20, verse 24. Remember, he's speaking to the... uh, the leadership team at, from Ephesus, the church there. He said, but none of these things move me. Chains, tribulations, difficulties, none of those things move me. 
nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Did you guys catch that? None of these things move me. Why, why does nothing move you, Paul? Difficulty, tribulation, persecution, chains, whatever it is. Why? Because I don't count my life dear to myself. My life is his. The worst that can happen is actually the best that can happen. I go straight to the presence of the Lord. I know that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. And so, Paul fought the good fight. He finished the race. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, we're given encouragement there about finishing our race. Does everybody want to finish their race? That was about part, like half the room. Do you want to finish your race or be d- disqualified? <laughs> Listen to what the author of Hebrews says. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so, such a great reminder, huh? To look to the one who endured for us, the one who's living in your heart and my heart to help us to endure, to lay aside the stuff that slows us down, the weights and the sins running our race. That's how Paul was able to say, I finished the race. I've, I'm ready to pass right through the finish line. Um, if you're taking notes, Philippians 3, also Paul talks about our race in 1 Corinthians 9 as well. You can dig those up on your own. Paul says, I have kept the faith. Paul continued to trust Jesus. That's that's a good reminder, isn't it? I've kept the faith. Paul lived out what he taught. Remember, three times in the New Testament, Paul reminds the church, the just shall live by faith. We live by faith. We continue to trust the Lord. It's not just a one-time transaction. We continue to trust the Lord, to continue to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Paul didn't depart from the faith. He didn't ditch Jesus. He didn't ditch the word. Again, he kept on keeping on looking unto Jesus. But this phrase also can mean, can also mean being faithful. He's continued to be faithful. Is it required of us to be faithful as Christians? Where does it say that? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul wrote, let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. So us as stewards of the things that God has given us, all the blessings he's given us, we have a stewardship. What is this? Maybe you're sitting here going, what in the world is a steward? Is that like a male uh, flight attendant? Stewardesses, stewards that we're talking about here? They don't, you can't even call them that anymore, do you? Is that like, like un-PC or whatever? Sorry. Um, a steward is someone that is entrusted with something that doesn't belong to them. Correct? Like Joseph in the Old Testament. He was a steward of Potiphar's 
stuff, right? Everything was given to Joseph to handle, to take care of, except for Potiphar's wife, correct? And so what are we stewards of? Think about it with me for a minute. How about the gospel? How about our testimony? How about the gifts and callings that God has given you, the resources, the things God has given you? We don't own, everything we have is from the Lord, correct? Our kids, we are stewards of our kiddos too, aren't we? They are on loan to us from the Lord. Yes, everybody with me on that. And so what is the requirement for us as stewards that we be found? I just read it. We be found what? Faithful. Faithful with the Lord's stuff. Why? Because a steward eventually will have to give an account to the one who entrusts us with the stuff, which is Jesus. Amen? We have to give an account of the stuff. And so Paul was faithful. And so, no regrets. I love that about the Apostle Paul. In the amount of time I've been in ministry, the, over a couple decades of ministry, I've been, I've been with a number of, a lot of people on their deathbed. And I have, it's interesting, I've never heard one of those precious people say to me, I wish I didn't serve the Lord as much as I did. You know what I typically hear? I wish I would have served the Lord more with what I had. Can I encourage you this morning? You never know how much of an impact your life is going to make by being faithful with the little things that the Lord gives you. Saying, Lord, here's my life. The person you touch tomorrow, the person that the Lord brings into your life tomorrow that you minister to, you share with, you love. It, listen, it will be worth it when you pass through the veil individually or we go corporately and the Lord tells you, well done, good and faithful servant. You take the grace that God has given you in me and we max it out. Listen to what Paul said. What do you mean by that? Well, listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15. He said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. That was way before Popeye, by the way. Some of you are like, Bob, why? What is the matter with this guy? That's called space trash that you need to pray for me about. Man, I am what I am by the grace of God. It's because of his kindness, his goodness. I didn't deserve it. Man, I got everything I got is because of the Lord. That's good in my all the mistakes are mine. Everything good in my life is because of Jesus. I am but I am by the grace of God. And his grace toward me was not in vain. So good. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Did you guys catch that? Paul's like, man, God gave me all this grace, and I took the grace he gave me, and I labored harder than everybody else. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. (laughs) That is so beautiful. You take the grace that God gives you and you max it out, trusting in his grace, his sufficiency and strength to help you to do it. Because you can hear this and go, okay, awesome, Mike, I'm hearing you. I'm going to huff, I'm going to puff, I'm going to blow this house down, I'm going to be serving the Lord doing this, and we can start in our own strength, and what's going to happen? You run out of juice. Or you say, Lord, fill me, baptize me afresh, 
to do what you are communicating to me through your word. Why? Because the Lord will help you to do this. He hasn't left us as orphans. He's given us the Holy Spirit. And my job is to say, yes, Lord, I submit, I surrender. Help me to do this. Because you said your grace is sufficient, your strength is made perfect in my weakness. I'm weak, you're strong. I'll look to your resources and not my own. Amen? And so Paul's like, man, I've kept the faith. I've finished the race. Finally. And Paul, usually when Paul says finally, he doesn't finish. Right? He's like, he keeps, going, keeps rolling. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. What does that mean? There is a special crown in heaven waiting for Paul, he says. I love this. And this crown, this is not the diadem crown. This is the Stephanos crown. Stephanos, it speaks of in the Olympic Games when an Olympic athlete would win uh, the event they're in, boxing or wrestling or running or whatever it is, they would give you, they would, you wouldn't get a cool gold medal. What would you get? You'd get a wreath. A wreath. I mean, think about all the training, all the hard work, but it was an honor, right? People looked at you and went, ooh, ah, wow, this, this guy's amazing. He's got a wreath. But that cool wreath, what happens to it after a couple months? Is it still, like, looking good? Starts to deteriorate and gets worse and worse. The crowns that the Lord gives are eternal crowns. That the book of Revelation alludes to us taking those crowns and what? Laying them at the feet or throwing them at the feet of Jesus in worship and adoration. And so Paul says, finally... There's laid up for me this crown of righteousness, a special crown. And who's the one who's going to be giving it out? Jesus, the Lord, the righteous judge. He judges righteously. In other words, he doesn't make mistakes. He always judges correctly. And when finally Paul is in the Lord's presence, Jesus will give him that crown. Isn't that beautiful? On that day. Paul knew it. Paul was certain of receiving this eternal crown from the Lord Jesus. I love that. But guess what? This special crown is not just for Paul. Correct? Who else is it available for? Well, let's see who. I know there's some of us that you're not looking for the Lord's coming. When's the last time you thought about the Lord's coming? This is a challenge for us. Jesus said he's coming for his bride. I'm not talking about the second coming of Christ when he comes to set up his kingdom on this earth. We know the day and the hour of that, don't we? End of the tribulation, end of the seven-year period of tribulation. Jesus is coming to set up his kingdom. He said coming for his bride will be like a thief in the... Thief in the night, imminent, the, the doctrine of imminence, Jesus is coming at any moment. Well, it's been a long time if he said he's coming at any moment. Why did, why did he say if he's coming at any moment, if it's been a couple thousand years? Why? Because I believe he wanted every generation to be on their toes looking for his appearing so that no one would miss out and receive a crown because it does something to your life when you're looking for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Really? Are you coming up with stuff on your own, Pastor? No way, Jose. Listen to what it says in John. 
Here's what he says. Check it out. This is 1 John 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. Yes. Why? For we shall see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So our hope of his return has a purifying effect on our lives. The Lord coming for us. How does the thief in the night come? Does he give you a heads up? Shoot you a text? Give you a warning? Absolutely not. He comes. We were talking about this at the 7 a.m. service. I'm going to read the verses in just a minute. The grace of God should be teaching us to be looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If we are learning grace, if we're being taught by grace, we will be looking for the Lord's return. In fact, let me read it real quick to us. Flip over one one, uh, book. Titus 2, 11. For the grace of God, this is verse 11, chapter 2. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Yes. Teaching us that, so grace personified, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age, What else is grace teaching us? Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. We regard it as something that could happen in our lifetime. Otherwise, there's no point in looking for His return. I would say as believers, our whole lives should be about preparing for the return of the Lord. Jesus spoke about his imminent return. Paul talked about his imminent return. All the writers in the New Testament spoke about the Lord's imminent return for us. The Lord is at hand, right at the door. He's coming. But are we truly looking for the return of the Lord for us? Coming for the bride. I shared at 7 a.m. Listen, when Tanya's on a trip and she's coming back, and I, and I know she's coming back to the... I can't wait to pick her up at the airport. Why? Because it's a theological thing? It's a mental thing? Yes, got to pick up Tanya. Can't wait to pick up Tanya. Because I love her. I'm not going to say, hey, babe, get an Uber. Because I love her and I can't wait to be with her. I know I'm aware she's coming. I even prepare that for her. She's coming. I comb my hair, get, get, you know. I want to look good for her. You, know, you guys still in love with your, your babes? I'm prepared for her. I'm aware she's coming. I'm looking for, I can't wait. I'm looking at the clock, getting ready, excited. Because it's a personal thing, and it's a personal thing with Jesus. Because I love him. I can't wait to see him. I can't wait to be with him. The one that's rescued me and saved me and gave me a, a fresh start, a second chance, who's guided me all my days. 
I can't wait to see my Jesus. I, and look what it says. Let's come back to uh, 2 Timothy here. Who is this crown available for? To all who have loved his appearing, who long for and look for the Lord's return. Some people believe it speaks of both his first coming and his return uh, for his church. In any, in any event, is his return, his appearing precious to you this morning? Are you looking for and longing for his appearing? Special crown coming our way. For those, that's what Paul said, that's what God's Word says. And he goes on, verse 9, I can't believe we're going to get this far, hallelujah. It's so touching what he says here, like as we read through this. Don't forget, these are his last written words, but look what he says. He says, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas when you come, and the books, especially the parchments. Let's stop right there. So, Timothy, work hard. Make every effort that you can to come to me quickly. Get here as fast as you can. The window is, clo- is closing. Paul wants his dear son in the faith to be with him before he dies. And what does he say? It's interesting. He says the first th- name he mentions is Demas. And you can almost like kind of move right through these names. But who is Demas? Demas is like one of the most interesting cats in the whole Bible. Because he's mentioned three times. I'm going to read the three times if you're ready. Colossians 4, because it's important to understand what was going on with this dude. Colossians 4, Paul's writing to the church of Colossae. And he's giving the the end, uh, you know, salutations and greetings and so forth. And in verse 14, Paul says, Luke, the beloved physician, and Demas greet you. What does that tell us? That tells us that Demas was with Paul, correct? And Luke, what do you think they were doing together? Just chilling out, watching the you know Netflix. What were they doing? They were. Well, let, let's, we don't need to guess. Look at Philemon, the book of Philemon. It's right after Titus. If you're still in Second Timothy, just go to the right, right after Titus. It's at the end of the book. Some more greetings and salutations and so forth. Easy to just read through or just skip the names. But Paul says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ, greets you. This is verse 23. is only one chapter. This dude greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow... What does your Bible say? Is it up on the board? My fellow laborers. So what does that mean? They were serving the Lord together. They were laboring together for Jesus. 
Does everybody see that? Now, Paul, at the end of his life, says here in 2 Timothy chapter 4, what does he say? Demas has forsaken me. And what does that mean to forsake? It certainly means he ditched him. See you later, alligator. I'm out of here. But it's more than that. It also means he let me down. That's what it speaks of. In, in the original language, it speaks of, I was let down by him. That's heavy. Do you know that the Bible tells us Jesus will never leave you nor forsake you? He, in other words, he'll never let you down. In fact, Paul's going to get to that in just a minute. But have you ever been let down by someone? Been ditched? Someone that you labored with? Man, you locked arms and you were pressing on. It is a, it, listen, it is a painful thing. Someone you've poured into, someone you've invested in, loved, walked through, walked through the valley of the shadow of death with that person, wept, blood, sweat, tears together, and then all of a sudden, they ditch you. Why? Why did he do this? Why? Look what it says. This is a sad story. Having loved this present world. Did you guys catch that? Look at the contrast between those who loved what? His appearing and loved this present world. That word, by the way, it's interesting. It's the word agape. Isn't it interesting that word agape is used? unconditionally committed to the world. This world, in contrast, this present world, in contrast to the next, to eternity. He's no longer investing in things that are eternal. In fact, where did he go? He went to Thessalonica, didn't he? He departed for Thessalonica, man, to live for the things of the world. By the way, the things of this world are all going to burn, baby, burn. You know what I'm saying? It's all going to burn. The only thing that's going to last is what? Things that are eternal. People are eternal. He's no longer investing in people. He's investing in who? Me, myself, and I, a lover of self. Which Paul said would mark the last days. How tragic. How does, how does that happen? How do you go from being a laborer together with someone to someone that is now living full on? They were once living full on for Jesus, now living full on for the world. It doesn't happen overnight. Are you with me still? It happens incrementally. You know, do you know what I mean by incrementally? Little by little. Oh, is the Spanish translation going, going on right now? Poco y poco. Is that what it is? Poco up, right? I'm seeing like some looks like this. Right? You're not going to go out tonight and become a crack addict. It happens little by little. You open up your heart, your mind. You know what I'm saying? A divorce doesn't happen just overnight. A divorce from serving the Lord, a divorce in the home, it's not just an overnight thing. It happens little by little. It's a heart issue. 
That's why we're told to guard our hearts with all diligence. Guard your heart. That means protect your heart. What you are allowing in, what you are allowing to influence you, who you're allowing to influence you, what you're allowing to influence you. Are you with me? We are to bring thoughts captive to who? Who are we to bring our thoughts captive to? What's the book say? You guys know? Come on. Who are we to bring our thoughts captive to? To G. I'm going to read it. This is a huge, this is like huge. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Because we're in a spiritual battle. Like, listen, I'm tired of seeing casualties in ministry. And it's interesting when you, when you get to share with someone that wiped out, you get to talk to them, and you find out where it began. Again, it wasn't an overnight thing. It was little by little, drifting away from that place of safety, close to Jesus. Listen, I'm, I'm warning myself here. If it could happen to Demas, it could happen to me, and it could happen to you. If it could happen to David, a man after God's own heart, It can happen to any of us, myself included. And so 2 Corinthians 10, Paul says, listen, he says, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. Again, we're in a battle, right? Paul says, I fought the good fight, man. I've I've stayed in the battle. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly. Do you guys realize that? Our weapons are not fleshly. Carnal, carne, chili con carne. Carne is what? Meat. Our weapons are not fleshly, meaty. But mighty in God for what? Pulling down strongholds. What are our weapons? The word of God and prayer. Pulling down strongholds. We have strongholds in our lives. Are you with me? When we got saved, listen, for some of us, the Lord took away stuff immediately. Boom, it was like, wow. For some of us, it's been gradual over time. Stuff begins to fall away. Stuff no longer has a pull on us. But certainly, many of us have strongholds, things that we've been taught, things that we've learned, and we think, oh yeah, that's the right way to do this. And then you begin to read God's word. And what begins to happen? A battle goes on. The flesh wants to go this way, but the Lord wants to go that way. And what happens? Those weapons begin to boom, boom, pull down the strongholds in our lives. A stronghold means it is holding on how? Strong. Right? Some of the stuff so ingrained in us, how, do, how we treat people. What we, think, what we think we should do raising kids. How we relate to one another. I'll forgive, I'll forgive, but I'm not going to leave the, I'm going to leave the handle sticking out and this getting one. I'm not going to forgive and forget. You know what I'm talking about? Strongholds start to get yanked down with the spiritual weapons God has given us. They're mighty. Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How good is that? How many things exalt philosophy, psychology, secular humanism, boom, boom. God's Word doing what? Bam, doing some destruction. I like that, don't you? The hammer, bam, I need that. 
Is that what it sounds like inside for some of us, doesn't it? And then he says, check this out, bringing every thought, how, how much is every? All our thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ. <gasps> so what happens? Something comes flying across the radar. That's not, I don't think that's a good, let me give that to Jesus. I'm looking at this person in a certain way. I know I shouldn't be. Let me get, Jesus, help me. I'm starting to think about this all over and over and over. Get, get revenge, get revenge. I'm tossing and turning. No, 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 I got to give this to Jesus. Because what happens if you play with it? You start to play with that, that anger, that lust, whatever it is in your heart, in your mind, what begins to happen? Man, it starts to grow, take a life of its own on. Heart becomes harder and harder and harder. It's harder and harder. It's hard for me to hear the Lord's voice. And then all of a sudden, now that temptation comes, and I've already rehearsed it in my noggin and in my heart, and I just respond, boom, in the flesh. Because I've drifted from the safety of Jesus Christ, of bringing every thought captive to the obedience of him. He's made, listen, he didn't make this like rocket science. He made it really simple. He's the shepherd, we're the sheep. We desperately need him. We just, we just sang, didn't we? I need you, Lord. I need you, like five, six times. Lord, I need you. This thought's jacked up. And we bring it to him over and over and over again. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Man, how important is obedience to the Word of God? What does it do? It puts a punishment on disobedience. We trust, we obey, we trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, the Lord helping us. And guess what? We too can one day say, Lord, we fought the good fight. I finished my race. I can't wait to see you, Lord. I'm ready to, I'm ready to roll. I left it all out there. No regrets. I've maxed out the grace you've given me, Lord, trusting in your strength, your sufficiency. And then I'll be like, well done, good and faithful servant. How awesome to hear those words in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this amazing passage and the amazing example that we have in the Apostle Paul. and A man just like us, like passions, struggles, weaknesses. And yet as we, as we study and look at his life, a man just like, like us that could be used as he surrendered his life to you fully and completely. Just like the burnt offering of the Old Testament. Wholly dedicated to you, Jesus. I pray that we would be wholly dedicated unto you. And that we, we would allow you to work in us and through us, God. And to look back with no regret. To redeem the time that we have left. Whether you call us home or whether you call us collectively. That we would be a people about your business. Zealous for those good works that you've prepared for us. To walk in those that we might bring you glory. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, as we finish our Bible study, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, maybe you've been listening this morning and you've never 
truly come to know Jesus Christ. He loves you. He demonstrated his love for you and for me by coming and dying on the cross. For your sins and my sins, he suffered, he died, and was buried, and rose again on the third day. He's alive. His resurrection demonstrating that everything he said is true, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no man comes to the Father except through him. And he's reaching out to you right now to rescue you, to save you, to grant you eternal life, forgiveness of sins. Will you begin that walk with him today? that's you, I would love to pray with you right now. Would you raise up your hand? Can I pray with you? You're saying, yeah, Mike, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus today to be forgiven, to get a fresh start. If that's you, let me, let me pray with you right now as you open your heart to Jesus. Anyone at all this morning? If that's you, just raise your hand real high. Let's pray together. Anyone at all? Lord Jesus, I just thank you so much for this amazing family, your church. No other group quite like this group, Lord. Your own special people that you've rescued, that you're purifying. What a, what a beautiful work by your grace. And so we just want to say thank you that we love you. Thank you for first loving us. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus, your precious and holy name that we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you in Jesus' name.